0: Hello, twin. Oh, all right,
1: cuzzy Look at your hair. Look at our hair. Look at, and, look at me looking at the And the glasses. Mirror. We're basically the same person. This is ridiculous. Tia Tamera.
0: Tia mirror are, are,
1: we, are we allowed to do that?
0: Sister. Probably not. Sister. I don't know. It was oh, like a slice sorry. of um, the two songs put together. Okay. Doja Cat okay. and um, the theme tune. The thing tune. Right, the, theme tune. Oh. the theme tune What's the mum's name? Lisa I love Landry. Oh. Do you know Lisa. what? I always wished she was my mum. I know, right? And know. the other lady, what's her name? From Grey's Anatomy was my aunt.
1: Um I what's didn't the... watch Grey's Anatomy, so I don't really know what you're
0: talking uh, about. Saz. She's um what's her face's sister? Mmm hmm.
1: Can't sure. remember.
0: Well, I'll no. get I'll I'll let you know in a later time. Hi okay. guests. Guests? Yes. Yeah. Sorry. We're we calling not, oh, not... listeners. <laughs> Hi listeners. <laughs> I haven't woken up yet. This is way too early for me. We don't usually record at this time. And no. it's half term, so my exactly. brain is Razzle, (laughs) razzle! you're listening to the women who rebrand podcast honest and humorous conversations all about the natural and individual transitional phases people experience to grow start over or rebrand to become their most authentic selves hosted by former mummy bloggers sarita fontaine and chioma olalei and guest featuring professional rebranders you can find us on instagram at women rebranded so, how um,
1: have you been? It...
0: I'm okay. Is it even half term? I call all school holidays oh. half term.
1: Is it just Do you know Easter what? Easter break. It is Easter break, but I think it's still a half term. Okay. I think. Okay. Oh no, did we just have a half term? I don't Who know. Knows? What was in February? February was half term. Maybe They're this is end terms. of the term. This is Ugh. end of the spring term and Can't start of summer. Just... The... Oh, I Can't mean... they just
0: call them all school holidays? School holidays.
1: Yeah. yeah. That Easter would be break.
0: Because it's two weeks. weeks. Yeah. But yeah, I am frazzled. How about you?
1: Yeah, same seas. Took some <laughs> time off work and have been entertaining the kiddos. And ah. um, and also, as well mm. as doing, as if that wasn't hard enough, like entertaining mm. kids and doing fun stuff, mm. I decided to join the gym again. <gasps> What was I thinking, going and doing pump as my first class? What oh, was I thinking? Think, wow. Wow. Yeah. Look, Sarita. It's one of
0: those where you just go full in,
1: like, yeah, I, yeah. I'm going to do the gym. On. Heaviest weights because, like, obviously I'm not Isn't a beginner. Me? Like, mm-hmm. 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 And now today, I don't know if you can see, I'm trying to lift my arm up. It won't go. I, I can't lift it beyond 45 degrees
0: See, when you're in your 40s, you can't do stuff like (gasps) that. Do you know? (laughs) Speaking of which,
2: (laughs) (laughs) I Uh finished
0: work the other day and I was like, I am not going to wait 40 minutes for a train. So let me do a usual 15 minute journey in seven. Oh, so I, like, uh, bow, and practically ran. <laughs> and I made it, and I was like, yeah, man, back to, like, the old days, and used to rush for the train, because
1: oh you didn't want to wait. Wow. Got on the train. There's I the wrong train. The wrong was... Train.
0: No, it was the right oh, train. Okay. But my body was <laughs> yeah. like, what did you
1: think yeah. Yeah. we could do? No, 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 no. I, I hope it punished you suitably. It is A little
0: and a little jog and a little power walk <laughs> in um, rotation. I was not happy. <laughs> I was severely punished. Never again.
1: Oh, my mm. goodness. Yeah, those ones. You know, it's the but same it's... as with weights. Because oh. if you do it gradually, because when I, like, obviously I always run late. And when I used mm-hmm. to catch the train every morning to go to work, mm-hmm. I would do a... I'd have to do a light jog run because I was gonna (laughs) miss the train otherwise and initially it was awful but then I got to the point where I could do it without even breaking a sweat so like keep 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 on doing it and you'll find that um it'll get easier I ain't and doing it again. She talks to herself about the pump class. <laughs> you're not doing it again. Oh, okay. <laughs> no, babes.
0: I realise that I'm a lady who should take taxis or <laughs> sit there and wait 40 minutes for the next train.
1: <laughs> so obviously you've been working this week, but have you done any fun stuff? Because you're like the fun mom. So <laughs> I try. <Yeah.
0: laughs> I try. Um, yesterday I took the boys to um, it's so weird. I say London because I don't live in London anymore. so it's like I took the boys to London <laughs> in the town, into in the like town. Mm. Yeah if I did that here it'd be like, oh, you took them to Primark and <laughs> uh, McDonald's. Um, I took them to Burger and lobster. And the London Aquarium.
1: Excuse I? What do you mean, excuse I? It was fun. It was fun. No, I'm just saying burger and lobster. Like, I'm taking yeah. my kids to McDonald's and you're taking your kids <laughs> to burger and lobster. Well, mm. we didn't go to town. It. the bar. It's in
0: London. It's a proper show. It's a proper day out. So okay, we have to okay. over fancy. yeah. No, so um, I think I've been going on about it, burger and lobster for ages and my youngest... Um, the cultured swine that he is, um has never had lobster before. Swine?
2: What did you call it?
0: (laughs) And I thought I took the middle one to Burger and Lobster before, but he's like, No, you haven't. Total middle child syndrome. You just think that, you know, whatever, you've done it. No, I haven't, Mum. So yeah, we went there, um, which was yummy.
1: Mm. Nice. I love Burger and Lobster.
0: Oh, so good i think it was just an excuse for me to go like mm-hmm. um everyone's busy my kids can be my friends we'll go to get cocktails they have mocktails <laughs> i have cocktails um nice. and see london aquarium which is also really cute we've been there a few times the youngest couldn't remember going um so we went there as if he couldn't remember the last time we went yeah he was too yeah. little
1: too young yeah It's Um, always a good day out at the London Aquarium. The Aquarium. They had this... Why? Because it's in South Park. They went to the planetarium. (laughs) And I like to say it in that way. The Aquarium.
0: (laughs) Fair enough. Fair enough. (laughs) Yeah. Oh, see. See, see, see. But yeah, we're only at the end of the first week of our term. Mm. School holidays. Whatever. (laughs) And I am exhausted
1: oh man yeah i don't know how another week to
0: eggs. go uh, so,
1: need that easter energy
0: okay oh. i haven't even got easter eggs yet have you uh no
1: so my kids don't even like easter eggs well Bonus? Actually, i'm yeah i'm lying because mm, it depends what kind of chocolate it is like if it's a lint do they do they count those lint bunnies or the
0: yeah they do yeah yeah okay Bunnies. Easter. Funny. Okay. Rabbit. Okay. Well
1: it's not an egg, Easter. but it's an Easter chocolate shape. Yeah, they like those. But any of these bog standard ones that you can get for like ninety nine P that I would obviously fill my cupboard with, they're not interested. So um with the free mug. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Oh no, they want the free mug. Oh. Not with lint babes. Not with lint. No. <laughs> you don't get no free mug
0: with lint. <laughs> Wow, so oh, I take thing. my kids to Burger and Lobster, you get your kids <laughs> lint bunnies for Easter. We really Rougie. are middle class, aren't we, babe? We made it, we made it. We made it! Yeah. <laughs> who is our guest, Who is our guest?
1: So our guest today is Nikita Akilapa, who is a yoga teacher, she's a doula, mm. hypnobirthing <gasps> instructor, and she provides breastfeeding support too so she's basically a one-stop shop when it comes to everything birthing wow um, and in her professional life she provides emotional educational and physical support during pregnancy birthing and, and beyond and she's also a mother to two very gorgeous human beings
0: oh well i'm sure she's enjoying the easter break
1: yeah, well let's find out hi,
0: hi. oh welcome <laughs> Yeah. Welcome, Nikita. Yeah. Thanks for having me.
1: You're uh, welcome. You're very I'm so welcome. I'm
0: excited about this episode.
1: So we've already introduced you, Nikita, but I'm sure you can introduce yourself way better. So, do you want to tell our listeners a little bit more about who you are and what you do?
2: Okay, I'm Nikita. I am a mum of two. Um and I'm a, a birth worker. So That covers lots of different offerings. Primarily, I'm a doula, which means I support birthing people through pregnancy, the antenatal period, through birth. I'm there with them and support them through the birth experience and the postpartum um, in lots of different ways. It's informational support, emotional support, practical, physical support, um, just making sure that people feel equipped and prepared for their birth experience, navigating the NHS if that's how they're doing it, my my goal is to make sure that everyone I work with has an empowered birth. Um, and I'm also a yoga teacher and a hypnobirthing instructor and an antenatal educator and a breastfeeding supporter. I think that's quite enough for now.
0: <laughs> 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 it's funny. So many um, creative types. You are You're part of the creative crew. You're not going to get out of that. But just do so many different things. It's not like just one thing anymore. I don't know. Would you be happy just doing one thing and one thing only?
2: But what I would say is I am a birth worker. Yes. But that just spans so many things. We need so many things during our perinatal year. And I know what I needed and how important it was for me to have certain types of support. And the reason I do what I do is to help people in some ways have, the greatest parts of my experience but also avoid the more challenging parts of my experience and so that's why i i put it together that way i feel called in in different ways mm-hmm. but also it's interesting you say that we do lots of different things because i was talking to someone it's completely relevant to this podcast the other day about this being the third maybe even fourth incarnation of my professional self it's like my i i never stick with one thing for too long you remember I mean, being the child of an, of an African father, it's like get a job, a career, stick with that for life. But I've changed a lot, mm. evolved depending on uh, or according to my needs, my circumstances as a mum with two small kids and the things that I feel most passionate about. So I think people do, creative people do need to be challenged, right? We need to feel sparked. And so once something gets dry, you have to move on to the next thing, right?
0: Very true. Very true. I
2: don't think... Yeah,
0: I don't think I could stick with one thing. I I would just, I don't know, I guess it just keeps life alive. It's like that Mm -hmm. rebrand, that re-spark. It's like, poke, doing something new. Woo, that's fun now. But yeah, it's good that yours is um, all connected. It's not like, obviously, completely different jobs. You're not in marketing and then a doula one week and then, I don't know, driving a train the next.
2: It's all relevant, like you said. It it all sticks together. Mm. I did used to do marketing. I spent a decade working in marketing. I I was going to
1: say, yeah, yeah. funny enough, you (laughs) should use that as as an example. But Nikita, what what was it that took you out of, because like you say, you were in the corporate life and then you went to the other spectrum and you're just a a yoga teacher, you know, just chill, cool, (laughs) wafting your sage around. So, So how did you get from (laughs)
2: Uh, Well, actually, when I was at school, I was an actress and I was sure that I was going to either be on the stage or behind a camera or something, uh, in front of a camera. But dad being Nigerian said, no, you put this on hold, go to university, get your degree and then we shall see. So I did. And then I started making money on the summer holidays and started thinking, actually, I I would quite like to prioritize making money. So I got myself a, a summer job working at a PR marketing agency with one of my friend's mums and was really hooked with the excitement of it. All the freebies, the parties, meeting celebrities, this kind of thing. When you're in your early 20s, that kind of thing is sparkly. Mm-hmm. So I followed that. And then I suddenly realized, well, it wasn't certainly. I was I was pretty clear that it was it felt like too much like hard work for me. You know, when you're trying to put a square peg into a round mm-hmm. hole. And some of that is because I'm not a orders and processes person, which you kind of need to be in PR. You can't only do the creative um, events management and exciting uh, kind of a talent management stuff. And there has to be some order to it. And that just doesn't fit in my head very well. That's one side of it. But then also, I guess it's, I guess I didn't understand at the time about how, how much it impacted on my enjoyment of the day mm. of the job being so different from everyone else there were not that many black people at the time uh in any of the agencies that i worked at and i did feel like i had to work a lot harder to prove myself and to achieve compared to my peers and um looking back now knowing what we know and it being a much more open acceptable conversation i i'm clearer on why i found that so difficult but there I did that for 12 years and I kept thinking when I get to the board and I don't have to do all of this and I can just, you know, delegate more and then it will be easier. And I thought, let me stick it out and get onto the board. I got onto the board and I was like, Oh my God, it's all of a sudden so much harder Mm. and I don't like it enough to be giving so much to it. You know, Mm. let me think about what else I could do. But honestly, I wouldn't really have left if it hadn't been for my brother passing away when my brother died. You know how grief can make you just take stock of things and, it's almost obscene the way that things can go back to normal. You watch everyone go back to their normal life and think, no, 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 everything has changed now. We can't do this. Mm. And he always did what he wanted to do. He always, uh, he, was, he wrote the code for computer games. Mm. And he was always a gamer from when we were little. So it was amazing for him to know what he wanted to do, map out his future and just glide straight into it. And I, I honestly believe that he would have said he had achieved great things, things that he wanted to do. And I, and I thought, if I was to die tomorrow, would I be happy with what I'm doing? No. All right. So I'm going to leave, but I don't know what I'm going to do. I don't know what else I can do. Imagine my dad. So the only thing I was doing was, the only other thing I was doing was yoga. I was really passionate about yoga. I'd been practicing since I was about 17, 18. And I thought I'm going to run away to India and hide from my responsibility and become a yoga teacher and just see where that takes me. So that's what I did. And, you know, felt like life had purpose again, for the first time in a long time. And, uh, I I lived in Portugal for a bit, for about a year, uh, working on a, on a retreat and then came back to London when I was pregnant with Lola. So that's how I got out of PR and I, and I don't miss it at all. Mm. I don't miss the stress, the glorification of busy, the, the pressure that we used to say it's, it's pr not er you know <laughs> and then they'd be cracking their whip. where are you go when you haven't finished this report oh my so gosh i don't miss it at all but i must say that everything i've done has contributed to the skill set that i use now yeah. to do the, the job that i do now so well i wouldn't be able to meet certain clients where they are If I didn't have this background, if I had only done yoga Mm. and airy, fairy sage wafting, you know, (laughs) I come from a corporate background. So I understand certain things and I can deliver things in a certain way that feels safe and reliable to my clients. Amazing. I'm terrible at marketing myself though. I'm really shit at doing my own PR. Well, I think a lot of us can relate to that to be. You can't do
0: everything. You can't do everything. Mm. It's not (laughs) fair if you can do everything. Yeah. So. what 's the actual difference um between a doula and a midwife, because i've never had a doula in my mind i'm like a doula will be my best friend she's going to be there she or he will be there for the whole thing we're going to be like going for coffees and all that be at the birth um midwife <laughs> i've had many midwives not good um experiences mm. so what's what's the difference? between a doula and a midwife?
2: Well, a midwife is a medical professional. They are trained medically to support you through your birth experience for birthing parent and baby. Um, they can offer medical assistance, medical support. Um, they can perform clinical tasks. These are things that a doula can't do. We are non-medical birth professionals, mm-hmm. but The midwife will be there with you at the time of birth. You'll do antenatal appointments with them, quick 10-minute sessions all the way along. And then when it comes to birthing time, they'll support you through the point where you reach active labour until baby has arrived. And then you'll stay at hospital for your checks if that's where you're birthing your baby. And then off you'll go. But a doula will be with you offering a continuity of care all the way through your pregnancy and through birth. The difference with a midwife would be that whoever you see antenatally is probably not who's going to be there to support you at birth. It will be just whoever's on call. Um, and the midwife will be with, uh, the doula will be with you all the way throughout. But of course, we're not medical professionals. We can't perform clinical tasks. We are not here to make decisions for you or to speak for you. We're just here to hold space for you and support your preferences and invest in them as though they're our own and um, signpost you to information that's relevant to your circumstances so that you can do your own research and get prepared. I know that people think, which feels weird to say, my, uh, I have close friends who have midwives and family members who are midwives, but these days people feel like midwives, like you said. And that's purely because the NHS is so completely understaffed yeah. and underfunded and what's expected of them is so much, it's too much. And so they can't deliver what they were delivering back when we were born. Mm. My mum tells the story of when she went to hospital, when she was pregnant with me, she spent a month in the hospital. What? Can you imagine? <laughs> because my brother came early and so they invited her to come and stay at hospital two weeks before her due date, just in case. And then I, she was late. So she was like living in the hospital. And Wow. I mean, wow. these days... You can't feel your legs from an epidural and they're trying to make you walk to the... My to dear, to the got booted out
1: within 36 hours after a C-section. After a C-section? It's
0: I failed. was gone, it's gone the next the day, fault. after my C-section, gone the next day.
2: That's, that's crazy. Wow. That's crazy. So the difference between... I mean, there's so many differences between a dude and a midwife. Mm-hmm. So We are supposed to all be working towards the greater good, safe, positive birth experiences. I guess, though, because midwives... I'm talking about hospital midwives because mm. you know that there's hospital midwives, agency midwives, and there were independent midwives, which have been all but outlawed oh, now really? in this country. I no, that? I
0: didn't. What's that? Sorry, for me, for me.
2: So <laughs> let let me. I hope that I'm not um, garbling this, but from from what I understand, mm-hmm. so you've got the hospital midwives who are every, all the midwives are trained to work within the NHS, mm-hmm. and the hospital midwives stay working in the mid in the NHS within the different trusts. Then and uh, they follow certain rules have certain targets and certain insurance requirements and the big hospital bosses cracking the whip behind the scenes, which means that they have to, as well as thinking about the care of their people that they're looking after, they also have to think about their jobs, Mm -hmm. right? Then you have private midwives who are self-employed and work for agencies that use the same insurance matrices uh, and they're measured by the same kind of Uh, not rules because they don't work for a hospital, but they do have to adhere to a certain code of practice. So certain Um, guidelines. Exactly. And the the great thing about agency midwives is that you can guarantee a home birth with them, providing your birth, your your pregnancy and your birth remains low risk Mm -hmm. and something that can happen at home. Mm -hmm. Whereas if you are hoping for a home birth with the hospital, it's real hit and miss you can plan for it get your home your birth pool in but maybe not be able to use it not because there's anything wrong with your pregnancy but because perhaps they're short staffed that night and they can't send someone to be with you so if you want a home birth and you want a midwife present really the only way to guarantee that is to get an agency midwife then there were independent midwives who operate completely outside of the same system that the hospitals and the agency midwives operate within Mm. so i don't know if you've ever heard of Kemi Johnson, she, if you follow maternity pages on um, Instagram, she's quite a prolific um, um, proponent of, of and defender of physiological birth. Uh, so she and other independent midwives would operate separately in that they don't necessarily follow the same insurance guidelines and, and rules. Mm. But there's been a, a, a change lately, which means that um, the insurance for independent midwives has become so prohibitively high that a lot of independent midwives have been kind of forced into early retirement. Wow. And wow. so now they really don't, they're not operating, they don't really exist. Why was I saying that? What were we talking about? I was trying to explain something about the... We were. Oh, you're asking the difference between midwives yeah. <laughs> and do this. <laughs> um, y- yeah, so if you're working with um hospital midwives or agency midwives we're supposed to all be trying to champion and support empowered birth positive birth experiences Mm -hmm. but of course we are more free as doulas to do that and we are more able to provide the tools uh, the the resources that will help people achieve that than the hospital midwives are
0: i didn't realize it was so complicated (laughs) Does that make sense? It does yeah. make sense. But I, I just didn't know any of these things existed. I just thought midwife, okay, works in the hospital sometimes, then sometimes ends up in your house <laughs> and judges you.
1: <laughs> no, I'm <joking>. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, talking it's about uh, the, the birth experience. So um, you do post some, some material onto Instagram. I don't know... Um, how much you're able to post now but it's it's really raw and we know how strict Instagram can be with its guidelines and rules around posting stuff that contravenes those guidelines and um, what have what has the impact of those rules been on you showing the work that you do and the beauty that comes with these births that you're supporting people through, or or just sharing information on what's out there and what people should be aware of. What 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 social media done um to support yeah. or hinder that?
2: Well, if you, I'm. This is now the third time that I've started my Instagram page again because they've got removed in the past because I was just posting whatever I wanted to post and receiving these warnings, appealing against them. But because I started doing this during. The first lockdown two years ago, they didn't have the staff to assess each individual appeal, you know, at Facebook and Instagram. Mm -hmm. So it was like if if the algorithm has picked up that you've posted something that goes against the sexual violence or nudity codes, guidelines, then you're going to be... punished in some way so you know preventing you from posting i think at the moment i can't post on on facebook because the facebook algorithm and rules are slightly tighter than instagram oh
1: wow
2: so now for some reason if you use a resharing um app then you can just share what someone else has posted and that's fine i don't know how those people that post them originally in the first place maybe it's the people who have more followers than the blue tick Mm. they have more relaxed rules. So then we can just reshare what they're sharing. Um, but if I was to just upload a video of my own birth, for example, it would be removed immediately. If you want to post something about breastfeeding, it's usually okay, but it has to be like, it, once I have tried to post a picture of a breast with a little bead of colostrum leaking out of it, and that is always removed straight away. Cause it's like, where's the baby? <laughs> this is just oh my gratuitous gosh. boob shot. It's got to go. Wow. Um, so you just have to be a little bit clever and careful with the editing like put a little something over a nipple or over a clitoris or a real close-up shot so that you can't see that it's a vagina releasing a baby just a baby emerging from who knows (laughs) where. so it's a bit silly but it doesn't stop us from sharing the information we just you know use different images Mm. to support Mm. it
1: a basic human process is so harshly Um, What's the word? Um, I I can't even think of the word, but that's it. That's the word I'm thinking about. Yeah. I mean, how many million birthing people do that (laughs) every single day? And yet we can't show that, but any child can learn about it at school, pick up a textbook and see the images. I I, I just, I find yeah. it so absurd.
2: Yeah. It's such a shame because actually we are so saturated with this message that birth is a really like angry, shouty, mm. dramatized medical emergency. Mm. That's what we see in the media. And that's what contributes to people being afraid of giving birth mm. or feeling that they need to be in the hospital to give birth or just perpetuating this myth that all births are a medical emergency. So, it's such an important part of antenatal education and birth preparation to see other people birthing positively, gently, in an empowered way, because then you start to realise, I can do it. Even better if we can see black and brown women doing it, Mm. because as you can imagine, the majority of that footage is of middle-class white people, Mm. because they've had to pay someone to come along and film the birth and edit the birth and so on. And, you know, there's, I, I don't know, there's just not that much footage out there Mm. of us birthing and so actually I went on a quest not long ago looking for video content of of black and brown women giving birth at home in the birth center in non-medicalized ways so I've got a whole like collection now of really gorgeous birth videos and then we just try and share little bits of it and I share them in my hypnobirthing course. Mm -hmm. And what's been the impact um, of, of you sharing those images? I mean it helps people understand okay that's what birth is because Birth is, like I said, seen to be something to be afraid of. Mm -hmm. When you start to see other sisters, just very gently working with their bodies and birth being—I mean, it's a miracle and monumental every time it happens. But when you witness it, it's so ordinary. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's incredible, but at the same time, it's so ordinary. We don't have to have all the bells and whistles. We don't have to have, you know, paramedics in their high vis vests to make sure that everything goes okay. It's just a woman and her body and her baby you know, surrounded by love and support. And that's what makes it happen. And that's what's been making it happen for eternity, Mm. you know? So it's, I think um, people tend to come to me either for the first time they've given birth, afraid of the unknown. And with this idea that it's going to be dramatic, scary, dangerous, Mm -hmm. and it's a risky business giving birth. I've, I've even read quotes from medical professionals saying birth is a risky business.
0: Wow, And
2: I understand why consultants think like that obstetric consultants partly because all of their work is in the hospital and birthing in hospital is not conducive to most of the time a smooth birth it doesn't meet the basic needs of a birthing woman who needs to be private in a warm dark room surrounded by familiarity and safety you Mm -hmm. know anchored to security not in a strip-lighted um labor ward Mm -hmm. you know and also because when the consultants are brought in it's for the high risk um, situations where things have required medical intervention and so to them it is a risky business, but to the midwives who are largely supporting births, it's just it's a very everyday thing yeah. but so when people come to me, it's because a they haven't birthed before and they're scared and they need to get prepared and they don't know what to expect from birth or because they've birthed before and it has caused some birth trauma mm. and they've thought this time I'm not doing this on my own, I'm not putting my trust in the NHS I need to have someone to advocate for me, to someone to help me get prepared and, and, you know, you can do antenatal education with your hospital and they're going to teach you the basics about the different birth settings mm-hmm. and what they can offer you and what to expect in the different stages of childbirth and the physiology of birthing and so on. But they aren't going to tell you how to navigate the coercion, the bullying, the systemic racism, you mm-hmm. know, that, of course they're not. So, You need to have an independent antenatal education. So that's when people come to me. And as part of that, I show them these birthing videos, like, look what your body can do. And add to that another layer. Women, we're not really raised to believe in our bodies or to trust our bodies. Any woman, you know, it's the foundation of modern marketing. You are broken. You need to have this cream or this lotion or this serum so that you can start to function properly. But until then, you aren't a whole person, you know, and then you get pregnant and they're like, trust your body which is a tall order, isn't Mm. it? So we have to, it's like a process. And so visually showing other women birthing is an important part of that process.
1: Mm. And just on that birthing trauma piece, because I know know this is something, this isn't something that you tend to focus on because it doesn't have to be traumatic, as you say, a majority of births aren't traumatic. Um, But um, I I have experienced birth trauma and um, I would have loved to have... um, like the second time round had uh, a even better experience and and had a maybe a doula who could support me through that but i just told the doctors just cut it out cut my second out i'm not interested in this vaginal birth i, I don't want it I, I can't do it um but they didn't listen to me because obviously i didn't know what I was talking about because i'm a woman but that's another story for another day um but i would imagine not only the um the person who is giving birth would feel the trauma, but their partners, if they have experienced that trauma too, would would have some kind of trauma potentially as well. So, do you work with the partners? How, how do you
2: support both people through that? First of all, when you say that most births aren't traumatic, mm-hmm. I just want to say that I, I can't I can't vouch for that. <laughs> Because I would say that most births happen in the hospital. And if you're birthing in the hospital, there will be probably an element of trauma. Mm. And it might take a few years for you to unpack because the overwhelming feeling of achievement and joy of having your baby. Mm. And also just your mind protecting you can can perhaps. And I'm speaking from my personal experience. It took me years to be able to recognize which elements of Lola's birth were traumatic for me. Um, But, yeah, I don't know that all births are not traumatic. Mm. I would say that the majority of births are unnecessarily interfered with, Mm. which can cause some trauma. Even if you birth really – even if the actual birth process itself is very straightforward and satisfying and rewarding and empowering, being in a hospital, you know, the way that you're treated by very short-staffed teams who don't communicate with can't communicate with each other as um efficiently as they should who need to get you in and out because it's like a factory like almost like a conveyor belt that's not that's traumatic in itself, but then that tra- trauma is a, a spectrum, right? So, there's different degrees of, of trauma physical trauma, emotional trauma, psychological trauma. Instead. Yeah,
1: I'll, I'll correct myself. I don't know that most births are not traumatic. I'm talking, I'm, I'm <laughs> centering myself.
2: Most births are not like mine, <laughs> but um, yeah, to, to, but totally take your point. It is true that most women are capable of birthing their babies in a straightforward way without needing medical intervention, most births should be non-traumatic we could say um but to answer your 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 question yes because um first of all it's difficult for a birthing partner who will usually be the person who loves the birthing parent the most in the world you know it's usually going to be a partner or a best friend or a mum in addition to a doula or or you know um, although with that said, if you've got a due present, you're less likely to have any kind of birth trauma because we, we're big advocates and we know what to expect and we prepare you and we kind of like bouncers. But yes, so it's difficult watching the person that you love experiencing intensity, but not being able to take it away from them in itself. That's quite hard. Also, in the same way that we don't necessarily trust our bodies to begin with, because we are trained to believe in medicine over physical wisdom, we go on that process. They don't go on that process with us necessarily of learning to trust our bodies. So, so many times I've seen women step into that power and that knowledge that actually everything is fine. I feel intuitively like everything is fine, but I see husbands like biting their nails and saying, it's time to call the hospital now, or, you know, at a home birth or feeling nervous because they don't yet trust our bodies until they've seen us do it. Right. Also, if trauma is taking place in, in, you're being asked to step back and leave everything in the hands of a medical professional. That's very disempowering for your partner and scary just to, to trust that someone else can resolve this. Plus they receive their own treatment from the medical professionals. I've seen husbands being treated appallingly by midwives who feel that they're getting in the way, belittled because they're just a man and don't really know, or, you know, ignored at antenatal appointments Oh my God! I had this client once um they the husband was a seven foot tall Nigerian man, but he was he's an engineer, so soft, like a gentle giant so so softly spoken with a very analytical mind, could not understand why they weren't taking care of his wife and why even though she was clearly in established labor, they wouldn't let her down to the labor ward C- can someone can someone help please and it was very simple, but they wouldn't let me in because they were in triage, and I was waiting in the the hallway, and they said to him if you don't stop being so aggressive, I'm going to have to ask you to leave. He was like, Pardon? I'm not being aggressive. I just want someone to come and help my wife. But you know that he's tall, he's black to them. That's scary. Mm. And it was, this is, this is traumatic. You know, I just want someone to help my wife. Mm. No, we'll have to ask you to leave if you don't sit down and be quiet, this kind of thing. So there's a lot of, of, of potential opportunities to be traumatized when birthing in, in the system. Mm. But then the alternative, sorry, I'm just on a, I'm off now on the roll, but it, I, a couple of my clients have chosen instead to free birth instead of birthing in the hospital. What's a free the birth? plan is to home birth. Yeah. Oh yeah. Oh. So a free birth is to birth outside of the system without medical assistance. It's not A BBA, which is when the baby is born before arrival while waiting for your midwife to arrive. Sometimes when the baby comes so quickly in a precipitous labor, they call it, there's not time for the midwife to arrive. The lady I supported in January, I arrived four minutes before that baby was born and the midwife came 40 minutes later. That's how quick it happened. And, you know, there's another lady that was supporting this month. I didn't make it to her birth because that baby came within 35 minutes of the first surge. Can you imagine the, the vast difference in the way that some of us birth so b- born before arrival without medical assistance is one thing because they're on their way um but free birthing is when you make a decision to birth without medical assistance present, mm-hmm. either because you just don't want that or because they just they are unable to send a midwife to you and you're not feeling like you want to go into the hospital so i've seen i've supported birth like this before And then this is the other end of the extreme, I guess, where we are really asking partners to be invested in our birth preferences and believe in us, believe in our bodies, believe in the process of of birth um, and in nature and to trust that it's going to be okay. in the same way that perhaps women are trusting their intuition that it's going to be okay. Um, So, yeah, that's that's a different type of um, request for a birth partner.
1: Wow. And have yeah. you, um, I'm just intrigued because I'm thinking if I spoke to my husband, if I, if I was ever pregnant again and I said, listen, I want a free birth, I think he'd be like, mm, you okay? <laughs> so uh, obviously there's going to be some hesitation. There's going to be some concern. Have you ever encountered a situation where the, the, the woman who's pregnant would like, the free birth and their partner is like, absolutely not. And and in those situations, who takes precedent? I mean, you'd, you'd imagine it's the person who's pregnant, but what, what can you do to bring some consensus and, and some peace in that situation?
2: So first of all, the birthing person is the one whose nervous system we have to work with. And it's their needs that have to be met for the process of birth to be swift and efficient. I don't know how much you know about the the process of birth and how the state of your nervous system influences birth hormones, but essentially the autonomic nervous system can be in two states. Your fight or flight mode, which is when we're very adrenalized, full of cortisol, which is a stress hormone, and the body is ready to either fight or run away. Um, And then we have the rest and relax or rest and digest zone, which is when the nervous system is very soothed, which means that the body's attention can be on its normal job so that all the functions of the body, the regulatory functions of the body can um, roll along smoothly without any interruption. But when there is a need to defend ourselves or run away, everything focuses on that and all the blood runs to the arms and the legs and it, you know, our senses are heightened. And So if we try and birth in that setting, birth is slow, birth is hindered. Although adrenaline is a really important part of the birth hormone mix, It has to be present in exactly the right quantities. If it's present in quantities too high, it will frighten away oxytocin, which is the main driver of birth hormonally, right? So we want our birthing woman, our birthing person, to be relaxed and calm and settled. And if she starts to feel edgy, to have tools to be able to calm herself back down again so that birth can be quick and smooth and comfortable for her. So she's the priority. But equally, if her partner is feeling anxious... His nervous system is going to trigger her nervous system. And so everybody has to be happy and there has to be some compromise. I'm not a marriage counsellor, so I can't get involved in that. I can, you know, prompt consideration, but I can't facilitate that kind of discussion. Uh, you know, that's not my role. I've There's been times when I've been called to do that role and I found it so difficult because it's never just about the birth. There's mm. already so many politics mm. in a couple before we get to this point. So I'll say these are the things you need to consider and discuss together. Let me know what you've decided. <laughs> <laughs> it's not for me to be part of. Um, But honestly, the more birth partners are educated, because antenatal education is for, for both for the birthing team, not just for the birthing person, the more educated a birth partner is, the more they start to understand, wow, this is what the body can do. And they're also there when we're showing the videos. I can put them in contact with past clients who have been converted. This person who birthed really quickly in January, um, she said, "I would like to birth at my mum's house, the house that I grew up in, and I would like to free birth." And her mum said, "You're not birthing here. I don't want that kind of mess in my house." Oh my and her God. husband said, "You're not. You're not free birthing. No way. Oh my God. No way. I don't want you're that kind of mess at home in my if you house. wanted, but it has to be with a midwife." So she she invested in a in a in a private midwife, an agency midwife, so that she could birth in her house. The day that she gave birth, they even took extra towels from her mum's house to her house, It's was just up the road, so that they had everything they needed to birth there. Then she went swimming with her mum, and then she went into labour. And she had her baby without a midwife, so essentially, I mean, it's a BBA, but essentially without medical assistance, in her mum's house. So she, got, she had exactly what she wanted. <laughs> it was a plan. <laughs> yeah, she steamed it. Um, and then other times... No, honestly, I've, I've supported two free births, just two free births. Um, and both times, both husbands have been 100% behind what the birthing parent wants to do. Mm. And while maybe I can detect there's a moment of, Oh, is this okay? And that's where I come in to provide, um, some reminders, not medical reassurance, cause I can't do that, but reminders of what we've studied and certain indicators for them to assess themselves. Cause I can't do that, obviously, um you know that it has always rolled smoothly Mm -hmm. yeah Mm. but you asked a question earlier on whether I support birth partners as well and I do and I'm here to support the whole family um because the two people in the birthing team have very different needs um And everyone's different. So I just tailor my care to whatever is in front of me, whatever the the circumstances are. But um, yeah, I'm here for both people. And sometimes that means having separate phone calls or sessions with the birthing partner rather than the two of them together. And that's, I'm available for whatever's needed. Mm. Also, um, because I can't offer medical assistance, I have access to midwives. Independent midwives, people who are medically trained, but perhaps not operating as independent midwives anymore, um, who who have that medical training, who can offer some level of reassurance or an alternative opinion to what the hospital team are offering. Because, of course, the hospitals have to err on the side of caution. Mm. They have to make sure that they're not leaving much room for error. But what that means is that you can end up with interference that's unnecessary. Uh, and so I can say here, here's, a, here's, a, here's an evidence-based research so that you can you can check for yourself and understand what the real risks mm. are. So you can decide for yourself as an, as an adult mm. with, you know, an, an intelligent adult. But also if you need medical reassurance for someone else, let me con- con- connect you with somebody who's outside of the NHS that perhaps has the skills to do that. Yeah. I, I worked with a client once who the hospital that she was mainly, that she was registered with, was telling her, your baby is so big that we're concerned about shoulder dystocia. This baby is enormous, already enormous. You need to be induced today. She was like, but I look the same as I did smaller, in fact, than when I, my first pregnancy, and that baby wasn't mm-hmm. too big. No, listen, we are accurate. Listen, it's notoriously inaccurate to measure a baby's size in utero using a tape measure and a scan. <laughs> It's notoriously <laughs> inaccurate, and this <laughs> midwife is saying, "I'm pretty accurate."
0: Every Did time, you have something similar? Every time I've, I've had three pregnancies, I've got three children. Every time they've measured my stomach, and said, "You're going to have a big baby." None of them were big. None of I just may have had
2: a big belly. I may have carried <laughs> more water <laughs> as well. But but you know, the, listen, this woman. I said to her, "If you if you feel that that isn't accurate." Go to a different hospital and ask for a second opinion. Tell them that you want to change your care. They will have to do a, an entry scan to bring you in and ask them what they think. She went to the next hospital, had a scan, and they were like, oh, my God, your baby is so small <gasps> that we are worried about the placenta not working so you need to be <gasps> induced today. Oh so two God. separate hospitals telling her we want to induce you today. One telling reasons. her her baby's a giant. The other telling her that her baby is too small. This baby was seven pounds, two ounces, completely average. Uh, (sighs) And they enjoyed it. This woman decided to have a free birth because she just thought, if this is what I'm working with now, I probably am safer at home on my own without them them getting involved. So she decided to have a a free birth at, at, at like, the last minute. (sighs)
1: So in your opinion,
0: so... We've got some stats here. Um, The M-Race UK Saving Lives, Improving Mother's Care report published in 2021 shows a disparity in maternal mortality rates between black and Asian and different ethnic groups and whites remains more than four times higher for... Have I read that properly? See, your thing is so... Black people.
2: Yeah. It used to be five <laughs> times more. There's a whole, <laughs> whole campaign five called more. Five Times More. But do you... Why do you think that is? What is is it
0: just that we're not listened to? Are we just not understanding the process so we don't know what to say? Cuz like in your what you just said, if you're not happy with your care, get a second opinion. I would not even know that I can do that.
1: Mm.
0: Are we just not speaking up? Are we just not listened to? What in, what is
2: it in your um opinion that's going on? So first of all, Do you know that when they first found these statistics, they went to the government and said, uh, this this is what we have. Are you going to launch an inquiry into why this is the case? And then from those findings, fix it. And the response was, no. We recognize that this is the case. It's a sad state of affairs, but we're not going to invest any time or energy into or, or, or funding into understanding it or resolving it. But lately, they have launched a task force. I'm yet to, to understand whether this is just lip service in response to the the uproar or something that's actually going to come to something. Um, now it's four times more. It's still, it's Too still many significantly times more. bigger. Mm. Too many times more. And when you look at the numbers, okay, compared to the number of us that are birthing, yes, the numbers are small. But the fact that there is a disparity indicates a deeper problem, Mm. a more insidious, covert issue Mm. of systemic racism. And yes, we're drawing conclusions because there isn't any kind of evidence-based confirmation that it is unconscious bias and systemic racism within the NHS. But but that, that has to be what it is you know and it's a it's a mix of racism um you know prejudice making assumptions and i'll come back to that in a second and racial weathering so on our part mistrust of the nhs you know perhaps if you've been treated badly the first time Shemer, if your first birth was traumatic how much faith do you have the second time if you've been treated badly by the hospital um during your birth. Are you going to go back and tell them that you're hallucinating, you know, in the, in the Mm. postpartum when you've got postnatal psychosis? Uh, I, you know, there's so many things we could talk about this for a long time, but, um, if I go back to the first point about the unconscious bias that exists in all of us, because all of us, even the black midwives have unconscious bias. We've all been raised to perpetuate anti-black behaviors, Right. I recently did the Leila Sard book, Me and White Supremacy, and was horrified to understand how me as a lighter skinned black woman had contributed to the system that causes harm to me and to my family and my friends. Um, have you, do you know which book I mean?
1: Yeah, yeah.
2: Have you ever tried it? It's like, a, it's like, it's a, it's a workbook. Um, that... It runs across 30 days and you can do it in 30 days, but that's too quick. You, it's better to do it each page a week or each chapter a week so that you have time for it to land uh, and, and process it properly. And it basically prompts consideration about how you think and behave and highlights your prejudice. And I would go so far as to say internal internalize hatred if you have brown skin you know it's it's um quite a difficult and challenging process to go through Mm. but it's important work to do and everybody should look at their unconscious bias and do anti-racism behavior Mm. anyway this is not mandatory to work in the nhs
0: Mm, no it should be
2: everybody it should be absolutely you know it I know it costs a lot to do an anti-racism training, but it doesn't cost that much to buy that book and <laughs> go through it yourself. You mm-hmm. have a commitment to, an oblig- I feel like you have a commitment to the people you're working with. Anyway, we all have unconscious um, bias, even the black midwives. And so there are certain assumptions that are made, certain behaviors when dealing with people with black and brown skin versus white people. There was a book not long ago, um, well, I don't know how long it was in circulation and used for, but it was only 2019, 2018 that it was taken out of circulation that was um, like a textbook for people training to be medical professionals in the UK. And within that, there was a little bit that talked about how different ethnic cultures handle pain Mm. and how black people think that pain and suffering is an inevitable part of life. And so they'll probably say that it is the, the conclusion that one would draw from that is they'll probably say that it's it's painful even when it isn't really, you know, and then there's other things like um, Muslim people think that pain is um, a gift from Allah. And so they will not mention it. They will receive it. And, you know, there was something about Jewish people, something about Indian people, Chinese people. I mean, it went into detail about how your, you cultural influences will affect how much help and support you're going to need from the midwife while in labor, basically. Mm. So there's so anyway, there's that. But then there's also the fact that, the you know, by Western standards, the epitome of vulnerability is a, a, a small white woman, probably a blonde-haired, blue-eyed woman. And if you are thinking about who requires the most support, there is our proximity to that, mm. I think, determines on an unconscious mm. level how much support will be readily offered to you and that's across the board um and i think that the nhs is no different but that's where it should be the most different so i if you're asking me my opinion that's that's my opinion as to why there are those those statistics and i always say to clients who obviously black women will know of these stats and they'll be like, I'm scared I'm going to die. And I'll say, don't worry. This is not, it's not, that's not the thing to be worried about because that's really, really, the, the chance is really, really small, yeah. but you are going to be treated differently. Mm-hmm. Th- these, if there's anything that these stats show us, it's that you, there's a disparity in, in the way that we receive care mm-hmm. or the way that we are, um, t- treated, handled by the NHS.
1: <clears throat>
2: I did. Uh... And I, again, I don't want to make it all about me, but.
1: Um, <laughs> but. <laughs> I just, when I first heard about that, the five times more thing, it just made things make so much sense because, um, like, going back to my experiences. So the first time round was awful, absolutely awful. And I realized from that that I wasn't going to let it happen again. And I tried to advocate for myself and I tried to to intervene and and speak to consultants and, and get them to give me what I wanted. And their opinion was, you've done it before. You can do it again. Don't worry. I had a, a consultant literally walk out of a room while I was trying what friends of mine had told me worked for them oh you know just be explain exactly how you're feeling if you need to cry you know just let them know that you can't do it again you can't do it again this this is what I did and it was fine I did the same I was ignored the guy left the room I I thought he'd gone to get a nurse or something he just never came back I'm sat there waiting for him to come back into the room it was absolutely ridiculous like farcical um and and this is why i think it's so important that more people like you Nikita are just making women aware of what their rights are what they can they can um insist on for themselves because mm. we're not just these things that have to do what the doctors tell us to do we own our own bodies and we have to take that control when we think something isn't right trust intuition is probably not right so I, I, I just, I can't express enough how grateful I am for people like you who will do that work on behalf of of birthing women. I, I just, yeah. yeah, it's invaluable. I'm,
2: I'm just horrified at your experiences. That's, I mean, talk that's talk about disempowering. Mm. And these are the people that now you have to put your trust exactly. in to support you. exactly. And of course, it's not going to be that consultant who's going to be with you when you're birthing your baby, but it's, you, we're seeing it as a whole... Organization. Mm -hmm. So, how do you then feel safe? Mm -hmm. I've got clients who, or clients' friends, who have told me all kinds of crazy things that have been said to them in antenatal appointments, profiling. Like, I I know of a a South Asian woman who attended an appointment right at the beginning, and one of the first questions they asked her was, Are you related to your husband? (gasps) And I, I was told of a woman from Iraq who. At one of her early appointments was told just fyi we don't do fgm you know (gasps) so this kind of profiling so early on in your antenatal relationship um doesn't bode well for your extended experience of maternity care with a trust if they're profiling you in that way (sighs) in the beginning with with little sensitivity for how that might make you feel (laughs) how are you going to feel safe enough to get into your rest and relax definitely. space so that your nervous system is in the right space to be able to, but you're going to be on your guard mm-hmm. all the time, especially. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and and the other thing I wanted to say is that it's easy for us to get really passive when we're in the face of medical expertise, yeah. right? Because we're, we're definitely raised to believe these these people are experts and they know what, is what they're talking about mm-hmm. and we should put all our faith in them and so we kind of no matter what our job is or who we are or how intelligent we are or how it, in touch with our own bodies we are we can just hand our power over but actually the final decision about our maternity care all stages is ours and uh, the more people that know that the better and and actually there's laws that protect that article 8 is a, it's a european law that that protects our rights to decide circumstances of our private life including where and how we give birth and who will be with us and where we will be and hospitals have an obligation to honor that it is a conditional law which means that if they think that the risks they're identifying are significant enough they can override your legal rights with hospital policy and and you know say, no, we, we withdraw from you the right to birth in the birth centre because we can't support you properly, it's not safe enough for you and so on. But even then, even if that's what they're offering to you, there is a negotiation period. You can go back to them and present them data that supports your argument mm. and then there's a kind of a, a forwards and backwards. It's not as straightforward as, am I allowed to? No, okay, fine. Mm. You know, you can th- – there's organisations that exist in order to help us protect our birthing rights – There's one called aims.org.uk. There's one called birthrights.org.uk. And both of them have all of this medical research, scientific data ready to give to you in digestible bite-sized chunks in order to support whatever your unique circumstances are, whatever it is that you want. And they'll even wade into the conversation with your consultant midwife with you that's the other thing your consultant midwife and um head of midwifery they're the ones who have the authority to to bend the rules a little bit you're just the midwife that you're seeing generally will tell it to you black and white they don't have the authority to make um exceptions Mm -hmm. based on your circumstances you have to go above their heads to the more senior midwife and then that's where you'll be able to get a bit more flexibility but no one knows this we're just like we're told what we can and can't do and then we're like okay fine I, yeah, I, I I just feel
1: um, we need to just take that that control. I I just want everyone to take that control. If if there's one thing that anyone can learn from from this podcast, let it be that you can be in control of your own body and what happens to it. I I like I, yeah. I just please please don't yeah. let anyone tell you no. Nikita says yeah. you can challenge that no, you can <laughs> you can says... yeah, you can get a second opinion. You can get go above someone's head, like just do it. Absolutely.
0: Um, and in your situation, see, going mm, back, obviously mm, you can't go back in time, but if that situation were to occur, mm, you know that you can then get in a second opinion. Mm, that that consultant walked out on you. That is more than enough reason to be like, nope, I want to have another appointment with someone else.
1: And do you know what the joke of it is, at the end of the day, the thing that I wanted to happen, because I, I was very much, as I said, just cut this kid out of me, I wanted a planned C section. Um I had I ended up having an emergency C section because I knew oh, that yeah. I could not I, I I just because of what happened the first time round, my the way that my body shaped and, and all this kind of stuff. If I was out in the world, if it was like two hundred years ago, I probably would have died. Like I, I probably okay. would have died during childbirth. Um And I knew I couldn't do it again and I couldn't do it again. And I needed that medical intervention Mm. on on that occasion. Mm. And I, I, I knew it. I knew it. And
2: look what happened. But anyway, anyway. But it is it's absolutely your right to decide. Mm-hmm. And you don't even need to have a reason mm-hmm. like you had. That was an actual valid reason. I, I just supported someone earlier on in March who knew all the way along that she wanted to have a, a, a C birth because she just felt that that's what she wanted. Mm-hmm. She, you know, I, I, I'm, I love and believe in physiological childbirth, but I'm not only focused on that to the point where I can't support anyone who, hasn't, who wants to have a more medicalized birth my my goal is to make sure that you get the birth you want and i talk to you everybody about i talk to my clients about what the different options are what different procedures and interventions mean and what can happen perhaps as a result and recovery from different types of birth and this kind of thing and then whatever your choices are i am 100 percent behind you and you should be allowed to choose you are allowed to choose how to birth your babies um I think in the past, there have been specific targets to reduce the number of C births at various trusts, which will mean that birthing people were encouraged to have vaginal births, like at all costs. And a vaginal birth is not the same as a physiological birth, right? So a physiological birth is doing it as just the way that nature intended it without any intervention, right? It's just, just giving birth. Then a vaginal birth, it comes out of your vagina, but that includes induction. It includes instrumental birth, you know, like forceps and and ventouse, and all of the things that come with that. And that just because it's a vaginal birth doesn't necessarily mean that it's been a positive birth experience. Mm. I mean, you can for sure. Thank you. Have a a traumatic experience, traumatic on all the different layers of your being, having uh, a vaginal birth when perhaps it should have been different
1: talking about c sections april is cesarean awareness month and um you know mm-hmm. doulas are normally associated with physiological births um but you've said you've supported somebody through a c section so mm-hmm. uh, I, which I, it blows my mind i did, i didn't i never thought that a doula would mm-hmm. would be able to, to do that. I, I thought it would always be, and this is my ignorance, but I thought doulas were there to to show you that through hypnobirthing and um, and just getting that emotional support, you can do anything. But obviously, speaking for myself, I don't think I could do physiological births. I don't think they will have a happy a- outcome. So what ways do you support women who are planning a C-section or maybe have to have an emergency C-section after? thinking that they were going to be able to do it physiologically the whole way through the pregnancy.
2: Even if you're having a plan C section, it's still important to have good antenatal education so that you know what to expect from your encounters with the NHS through your antenatal um, period, during birth and in the postpartum. A lot of what we do during the antenatal period is preparation, not just for birth, but also for becoming a new parent. I think the thing is, when we're preparing for birth, for us anyway, for the birthing parent, we forget that there's this whole world that happens directly after giving birth. We become a parent, we have a newborn to care for, there's breastfeeding. There's so much that we are almost unable to really invest mind energy in because birth seems like a huge hurdle that we have to get through first. But my work is about preparing you for the whole transition, um, including breastfeeding preparation, including ways to care for yourself and your baby in the fourth trimester. And hypnobirthing actually is amazing. Yes, people use it in order to be able to physiologically birth smoothly. But it's also it's a set of tools to help you soothe your nervous system on demand, basically. So that's helpful for pregnancy, for birth for the postpartum, because of course, some of the same hormones that are required for birth to go smoothly are required for breastfeeding to go smoothly. It's oxytocin that's responsible for the letdown of your milk. So you need to be calm and reduce the levels of adrenaline in your body so that you can do that effectively. And then just life in general, as a parent, your professional life, these are incredible tools that you can take home with you. So, yeah, it's the same kind of preparation, um, but perhaps more focused on a particular type of birth. Because when I'm teaching just your average person who's hoping to have a physiological birth, we do a lot of work on understanding all the different birth settings, the potential outcomes, writing birth preferences for each of those potential scenarios so that you know what your main birth plan is. But if the twists and turns of birth take you in a different direction, having the tools and the knowledge of how to be okay with that, how to be flexible, but also to feel comfortable that I'd be okay with any of these scenarios because I've done the heavy thinking in advance about Mm. what I'd want in each situation. So let's say you're planning to have a water birth at home with sage being wafted around you. And then for whatever reason, you find yourself in the labor ward and you haven't thought at all about what you want from the labor ward, then they're just gonna hit you with the straightforward protocol, consistent Mm. monitoring, light straight on, consultant coming in and out regularly, probably lying on your back and still are not being able to move. But actually, if you knew in advance what the protocol would be for someone who doesn't know, who isn't informed, then you have the time to look into what your options are. Do you want to have telemetry instead of consistent monitoring so that you can move around? Do you want consistent monitoring at all? That's up to you. Do you want to be on all fours? If you end up having an epidural, do you want to be lying on your back? You know that that's going to affect the way that baby comes down and out. Is there a better way to be positioned? Listen, you know, like, why are we I not all given this is- information? <laughs> What's going on? Yeah. I guess because, it's because
0: the easiest option for them, in and out, right?
2: In and out, but also the antenatal education that you get from your hospital is limited. Because it's provided mm. by the hospital. They're not going to give you the tools to push back on them, are they? Mm. So then yeah, if, we, yeah. if we have the financial privilege to be able to get independent antenatal education, how do you choose the right one? You know, some, some organisations, and I'm not going to name specific names, but some organisations have a reputation for being physiological birth or sorry, let's say vaginal birth at all costs.
1: I think I but know which we, one you're talking about.
2: OK, so maybe they don't prepare you for the ways that you might be coerced or bullied in the hospital and how to how to advocate for your preferences. You know, so it's kind of a softly, softly approach. And then you have another organization that's run by midwives. And so that's that's reassuring that it's being delivered by a medical professional. But are the midwives going to say to you, listen, when you get here, I'm going to make you do X, Y and Z. You know, they're not. They they So there's different agendas, different angles, different edges. And it depends on what you want. I teach a rights based antenatal education I make sure that my clients know what their legal birthing rights are how to protect them how to get the most out of your care team in terms of the way that you speak to them the questions you're asking them to gather information that would not have been proactively made available to you if you didn't know the right questions to ask this kind of thing so um I guess I guess it just depends on where you go to get your antenatal education but even and actually I was just writing an Instagram post on this even if you don't have financial privilege to pay for an independent education, these days there is so much available for free, mm. but it requires some motivation, mm. some direction, tenacity, mm. to be able to seek out the right places, to gather the right information, you know, and actually it's much easier to just go like, oh, it's okay, I trust my doctor, or I'll just take it easy and go with, go with the flow. <laughs> so... Mm yeah
1: thank you thank you
0: getting ready to meet your baby is an exciting time for expectant parents and hypnobirthing is an excellent way to prepare for birth and beyond this may you and your partner can attend a four-week group hypnobirthing course in north london with nikita akalapa to help equip you both for the big day sessions will focus on sharing all the information you need to feel prepared and make educated choices Techniques for relaxing the nervous system to support a smoother birth. Swapping fear and anxiety for positive and excitement around the birth experience. Building confidence in your ability to birth calmly, gently and naturally. Empowering birthing parents to confidently own their births helping birth partners understand and prepare for the important role of birth support. The classes offer a comprehensive antenatal education based on the latest scientific and midwifery research. Sessions cover the most important aspects of birth and postpartum preparation, including positive birth stories, birthing postures, guided relaxations, breathing techniques, natural comfort measures, advocacy and birthing rights, writing birth preferences postpartum healing and nutrition breastfeeding and so much more ideally recommended for about 20 to 25 weeks but it's never too early or too late to join visit NikitaAkilapa.com for more information and to book your place on the course nikita akalapa is a hypnobirthing instructor antenatal educator yoga teacher birth and postpartum doula. She has been supporting parents through pregnancy, birth and the postpartum for 10 years. What in the world? Yes, Sarita. Yes,
1: <laughs> we're getting there. We're getting
0: there.
1: This week, for what in the world? Um, we wanted to ask you, Nikita, about this um, inquiry into maternity practices at Shrewsbury and Telford Hospital Trust, which um, found that two hundred and one babies could have survived with better maternity care um have you heard about this first of all i have yes and um yeah any thoughts on on what what went down or or what Mm. what could have been
2: done i think i think this set of circumstances i mean it was it started off with a couple of families who lost babies who launched an independent, um, investigation mm-hmm. into the hospital and involved about 23 other families. And then the findings were so damning and there've been several different incarnations of the, the results. Um, it's just kept on going. This is the final one that's just come out in the press. And, um, in the end it was like almost 1500 families some of them had several different clinical incidences that were investigated so i i I think it's like more than 1600 particular incidences 200 deaths of babies there were several i can't remember how many women many women that that died and then another 100 babies that are brain damaged or have lasting issues as a result of the care that they received Mm. and this is one trust mm-hmm. Then we have a lot of trusts mm-hmm. in our country. Mm-hmm. Um, all of them are underfunded and understaffed. And I, from what I understand, this hospital was under pressure. They were working long shifts. May, I mean, I, they were working long shifts. They didn't have the right level of support in terms of practical, practical support on shift on ward. Like there's, a there's they're supposed to be um i think they're called supernumerary staff that they're like additional surplus to actual requirements so that if there's an extra emergency they've got a spare resource to be able to support they had their own caseload because they were so under it there wasn't the correct protocol to make complaints if the midwives felt like things weren't going okay Mm. Uh, they just they just weren't supported and they weren't the circumstances weren't correct for them to operate in the way that I'm sure they wanted to. And I'm not, you know, defending poor treatment, but I'm, what I'm going to say is it's not because the, the outcome seems to be now, if only these women had been allowed to have C-sections, if only these women hadn't been forced to have um, what the media are calling natural births, but there's nothing natural about just, just a vaginal birth that is, yeah. you know, instrumental or that's been augmented or induced um and i to a certain extent, of course i agree with that but um not that they should have been they should all have had c-sections and um, it's easier to blame physiological birth because it's easier to find a solution let's just do more c-sections let's remove the targets to reduce c-births and have more c-births in order to save people than it is to fix a very broken system um, mm. And that's what I think yeah.
1: about that. So they, they put a scapegoat um, in place. Yeah.
0: It's, it's child um, child. When I had my first um, child, I wanted um, to go to a um, midwifery centre. It's like a birthing centre. I wanted to have the whole yeah. natural mm. thing and everything else. And then unfortunately, I had um, preeclampsia and was told I had to, mm. one of my um, checkups, I was told um, you had to go straight to hospital. And the hospital that they sent me to at the time, um, Northwick Park in Harrow, had one of the highest rates in making that face, the highest rates for um, mortality for um, pregnant people and children. And I was just like, I do not want to go there, but I have to. Again, I could have asked to go somewhere else, didn't know. But... I understand the whole failing. So it's like um, when I was there, the electricity cut off, they had a power cut. What's that about? It's like, is there lack of funding? What's going on? The staff were just not doing what they were supposed to. My midwife was just sitting there reading my more magazine. I um, had preeclampsia. I guess I was supposed to be watched. I had fits which went into ear clamps. But there's so many different things. And like you said, it's not a case of just, if you have a C-section, it'll be fine. There's so many things that need to change within these um, institutions, within these hospitals. And it's very unfair just to blame one thing or just say like, you know, the staff, they don't care. It's not about the staff. It's about the training. It's about the funding. It's about so much more. And so much more needs to be changed. And I really do hope, They look into this inquiry and actually make the right decisions, make the change, make different types of training, invest, put money back in. I just really hope that that's what we're going to see.
2: Me too. Me too. I'm not going to count on it though. Hmm. Hmm. Uh, I mean, not, not, yeah, me too. Let me leave it like that. Words of
0: advice. As we wrap up the show, um, what advice would you
2: offer to new parents
0: within a post pandemic world. I say post, I know we're still kind of in it. <laughs> we're still trying to get out of it, but um yeah, we're we're faced with a new kind of norm. What um what advice would you give new parents in this new new norm?
2: Reach out and make community. Um it's a little bit harder. It's not as ready-made and easy as it has been in the past, but it's important for your children and for yourself to have people around, not just your nuclear family. So make a point of um, building relationships with other people who have got kids the same age as you. I'm talking about the, the babies because in the beginning, all you want is to have people who want to listen to you talk about your brand new baby. And someone who doesn't have a newborn is not as interested as someone else who has a newborn. Also, it's helpful to see that all the the babies. Um, meeting different milestones and it's reassuring to know that certain things are are normal and that level of support's important um that's one thing the other thing is there is a limit to the kind of support that another new parent can offer you maybe it's reassuring to speak to them at three in the morning when you're both up breastfeeding on text message and to meet and go for coffees while everybody else is at work but they vulnerable just like you're vulnerable and they need to surround themselves with a proper support network just like you do so i would say during pregnancy have a think about who your support network will be and it doesn't have to be one person does everything it can't be one person does everything think about who with their circumstances can do different things for you so who's able to drop by and take your older kids who's able to bring food to your house for you to freeze or to eat so you don't have to think about doing it who might be awake at three in the morning and it might be another one of your um, new parent friends or it could be someone who lives in a different time zone who happens to be awake at the same time as you to to provide you with um, just just someone to talk to when you're feeling lonely in the middle of the night. Um, Eat well. This is number three. Eat well. Um, Think about the right kind of postnatal diet because your baby, you could eat McDonald's every day your baby would still get the best of what's inside your body. They would suck out all of your reserves. Your body prioritizes your baby during pregnancy and in the postpartum. So make sure that you're eating well enough, that you are lifting your iron levels to avoid anemia, that you're hydrating yourself to create breast milk, that you are boosting your breast milk supply, that you're encouraging accelerated healing in your body. Just you know, look after yourself physiologically. And also, Emotionally look after yourself, be really mindful to check in with how you're feeling and acknowledge um, where you're at mentally, like you know, psychologically and, and emotionally, because many times, most of the time as a parent, you'll put yourself way down the priority list. You will forget to look after yourself because you're too busy looking after everyone else. Maybe reframe how you look at it. Self-care is care for your family, because the more you look after yourself, the more you... Um, send energy to yourself, the stronger you will be to continue those jobs of looking after your family and anything else that you have to do. So carve out time to check in with yourself and make sure that you know what's happening. Don't wait until it's too late.
1: Thank you.
0: Thank you so much. Amazing. Yeah. Thank you. Thanks
2: for
1: having me on. Oh, thank you. Do you know what? I've got about five billion other questions that I would love to be able to ask you, but we don't have another 10 hours to see. part two two. don't worry next week. okay thank you so much thank you women who rebrand the podcast honest and humorous conversations about the transitional phases people experience to grow start over or rebrand to become their most authentic selves hosted by former mummy bloggers sarita fontaine and chioma olalea and guest featuring professional rebranders The podcast covers starting over at different stages of life, championing personal growth, aka a personal rebrand.